This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to this week's No Name Ever podcast. I'm your host, James Bird, and I'm joined as always by Natalie Bromley. Uh, we're going to be discussing a win today. Whoa, it's been a while since we've had one of those, uh, but Saturday lunchtime, uh, a very cold turf moor. Burnley uh, managed to put that run without a win behind us, uh, conquering Everton 2-1. Um, Natalie, it was a, an interesting game. You know, Going behind, first time Sean Dyshide's ever come from behind to win in the Premier League. Uh, so it's a, it's a landmark really in, in several ways, and obviously with a number of games Dash has put has, has managed it, it. It was maybe one of those days that you, it felt right to, to to get a win on. Yeah, it certainly did. Um, I was very, 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 very happy on Saturday. We got a win. Yes, uh, as you can tell, listeners, I've not quite calmed down yet. Um, I I thought we would win. Um, I think we talked about this on the podcast last week. I was pretty confident we were going to beat Everton, actually. Um, and for once, when we went a goal behind, I wasn't concerned. I have been critical of this Burnley side over the course of this season and last season as well about their resilience when they go behind. I think that Darch and his tactics and this Burnley side are one of the absolute masters of maintaining um, the status quo when they're at nil-nil and or even when they go one ahead. They are incredibly disciplined and, and they know how to see games out. But I've questioned in the past their ability to be able to come from behind and you know, execute plan B when they need to actually get on the front foot and go for the win. But I was really, really pleased to see that on Saturday. I don't think their heads went down at all. Well, maybe for the first few minutes after the goal, but their heads didn't go down. They maintained their structure. Um, they got through to half time with it just being a, a one goal deficit. And and obviously, as, as, as we know, the uh, the second half was was a whole different kettle of fish. So I was really really pleased. I thought it was a very good game, um, and I thought it was a, certainly the second half was an outstanding performance. And doesn't the world just feel incredibly rosy when you get back to winning ways? Yeah, it certainly puts a bit of a spring in your step, especially with uh, you know the, the recent weather maybe causing some people issues. It's not causing me any issues. I- not really had snow where I live, so um, it's just been business as usual. And luckily, it cleared in time for me to get back to the turf on uh, on Saturday uh, to to see a very enjoyable game. Um, to me, uh, just a couple of major talking points I think from the game. Obviously, James Harkosi came back, so we'll start with that. For me, I thought first half he, he looked a little bit shaky at times. There was uh, 
there was one uh, bit of play where he gave the ball away and did well to, to get it back. But there was just little elements there where you could see he was maybe a little bit rusty. Um, but overall, it looked like he warmed up as the game went on. And it's nice to see him back, him and me, I think, as they, you know, once they've got that first game back out of the way, it's probably going to be back to business as usual. I mean, what did you think, Natalie, seeing James Sarkovsky back? Yeah, I was really happy. I think... I think Long's done an all right job actually recently. I think we were we were a bit worried about him at first, weren't we? And it, it took him a while when he, he was in that forced extended run in the side to to find his feet a little bit. But I certainly think in the last few games he, he'd done all right as a deputy. Um, the problem is, and this is, you know, it's hard to be a little bit disrespectful to him, but he's just not of the same quality that Ben Mee and James Tarkovsky are. So to have those two back and for me get, importantly, that back five back together again, um, you know, to have that first choice back five was just, it just, it just felt more secure and it just felt like we were back to normal. And I think like you were saying before, that everything just felt like it was falling into place today. And I think that certainly contributed to it. Completely agree with you. I thought for the first 20 minutes, Tarkovsky looked completely out of sorts. It was clear that he was just finding his feet coming back into the side again. Um, and let's, you know, let's be be honest here. I actually thought that Everton started the game incredibly brightly themselves. They looked like they had um, a purpose about them and they looked like they had a game plan. And they, they caused our defence a few problems and actually defensively we, we did look quite weak uncharacteristically for us in that first 20 minutes and, and we ended up conceding a goal which was frustrating um, but it just took everybody a, a little you know a little bit of, of time to get going on, on Saturday but overall and certainly Tarkovsky's second perfor- second half performance was was absolutely fantastic and, and uh, it's very 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 pleasing to see him back and and actually you know it, it really showed up uh, Michael Keane's dramatic loss of form even more spectacularly I thought. Yeah Michael Keane was a really interesting one I, I think overall you know Ashley Barnes absolutely terrorised him. But there was the first couple of challenges. I think he got to the ball ahead of Barnes and won the headers. And you thought, maybe he's going to step up for the occasion, you know, back at his former club. Um, you know, a place he said he still thinks about quite a lot. But over the course of the game, Barnes just, uh, you know, I, I think had one of his best games in a Burnley shirt, to be honest, and really dominated and won that battle. In the, the first half, just while we're talking about the early stages of the game, uh, obviously the goal, um, a little bit disappointing to concede one like that uh, for, for me, I think, especially with the way we, we normally defend. Uh, and it had a bit of a feeling after that that maybe this is a game that might not go our way if we weren't careful because I thought Theo Walcott looked really dangerous apart from the fact he seemed completely incapable of scoring. Um, Natalie, what do you think about the, the goal and uh, the way Everton were, were playing at times when the game was, I think, quite open in the first half? Um. <sighs> I think up, leading up to the goal, I thought Everton looked, as I said earlier on, they looked quite bright and they certainly looked like they had some purpose about their play, but they didn't really threaten. Um, they had a lot of possession, particularly in midfield, and, and they they looked the stronger of the two sides in terms of physical presence. Um, but I was never really worried, actually to the point that when they did score, it was really frustrating because it was their first proper chance on, on goal and they just took it. But... How many times do we see that in this division? You know, the, the better sides and the more experienced sides, they, they don't need possession. They don't need to absolutely bat here. They just need one chance and they'll probably take it. Um, I, I'd be quite interested, actually, as to what the official stat is of conversion rates for the top sides. I, I don't think I've ever seen this as to sort of how many 
chances and how many shots the really good teams and the experienced teams convert into goals. Um, so it was a bit of a mixed reaction, really, to the goal because, like I say, I, even though I thought they actually performed a little bit better than I was expecting and I was a bit worried, especially with our slight wobble at the start, I thought it was going to be a, a way more difficult game than we were perhaps expecting. Um, it still came as a really annoying shock when they did score. Um, I, I've looked at the goal quite a few times now and I... <laughs> To be honest, I'm not entirely sure we can be that critical of the defence, to be honest. You, when we were looking at it at the game and when I first saw the, the replay, I was a little bit, it felt like the defence were a little bit all over the place. And I, I don't think they were. I think they were solid. I think certainly the two centre-halves were where they were supposed to be. Um, it, they just got outdone by um, a pretty decent bit, bit of skill, really, as well. So... Uh, I just think it's one of those where in this league you are going to concede goals like that, even with, with the best will in the world. Um, it's how you react to them, isn't it, that, that's the key. Um, yeah, I, am I being unfair there? I don't know. It, it's a hard one, James. I, I think I've summarised what I wanted to say with that. I'm not entirely sure that um, I can blame the defenders, but at the same time, there is always that feeling that perhaps we could have um, cut them out maybe a little bit further up the field. Maybe midfield could have done a little bit better to prevent the chance in the first place. I don't know. Yeah, so I mean, the first half was one where you, you, I think, given our trouble scoring at times, um, when they scored, you you maybe did think a little bit, oh, maybe the best we can hope for is a you know a draw here, particularly having not come from behind under Dash before. But going into half time, uh, obviously the team comes back out and you notice Hendricks not there, Woods ready to come on. Um, it's pretty unusual for for Dash to make a, a a change at that stage of the game, and it's it's probably quite a bold one really to switch to. 4-4-2 at half time but I think at the end of the day it really worked out and um, it, it's something that fans have been sort of clamouring for for a while that decisive early change of tactics to try and uh, take a game to the opposition that's really what we did Natalie what did you think of uh, the, the sub at half time? Oh it was just what we were absolutely crying out for wasn't it? Um, it, it for me it's it's come a few games too late I think um, last week was the absolute last you know, chance that Dyke should have had to, to not make that much more positive substitution that we were waiting for. I was incredibly frustrated in that Southampton game. And I think if he'd have made those substitutions back then, we would have won last week and we wouldn't have been going into this Everton game still on that um, winless streak. I think the key for me has been that since we lost Brady and Defoe from that midfield, our supply line to our front, striker, whether that be Barnes or Vox or whoever he puts up there, has been woefully inadequate. And for that reason, 4-5-1 just hasn't been working for me. And I've been just screaming for 4-4-2 to get two strikers on the pitch for quite a few games now. Um, And I just think it it just showed, look how much more positive we were in that second half. Look at the difference that Woodward, and obviously I understand completely that a lot of this, a lot of these timings of this substitution are very much down to Wood getting fit again. Um, But just Jeff Hendricks being beyond ineffective in that number 10 role for we're not even talking weeks anymore. We're talking months. And and I stay, say, said it before, and I'm going to say it again, through no fault of his own. That's not his fault. He's just playing in a position he he's just not a natural at. Um, and it, it just, it needs something different. And for me now, 
if we are assuming that we're losing to form Brady for the rest of the season, I think four four two has to be the way forward now. It, you know, we have to try and score more goals, and we have to at least give our our um, our front guys a chance. When we've been playing without that supply line in, in midfield, we've always we've always said on this podcast that, and we've always defended it on when we when the panel have, have guested on on opposing fans' websites. We've always been very defensive of our style of play and saying that it's not, you know, it's not long ball hoof football; it's direct football, and there is a difference between the two. But I felt recently with that lack of supply line that we have reverted back to the long ball hoof football, which just has not been working. So, um, very, very, very pleased to see the um, substitutions at halftime. Very pleased to see it early, and very pleased to see Deitch making a proactive tactical change instead of waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting, and then trying to react to something that's that's had an impact on the game. Interesting. I saw a few people actually defending Hendrick's performance on Saturday, saying it was one of the better performances he's had. Um, I mean, he saw a little bit of the ball, but last week it was the same. He saw bits of the ball, but he just didn't really do yeah, a lot he, with he can't, it. Yeah, he can't make any chances, can he? He can, he can try and close people down and he can try and plug some gaps in midfield, but once he's got the ball, he's completely shackled and he, he's, he's no space to do anything um, meaningful with that ball and that's what's frustrating about him having to play in that position. I bet he's frustrated as well, to be honest. Yeah, I think part of it could be he might have lost a lot of confidence. Um, it's been the case pretty much all season. He's not really worked in that that number 10 position and I think when uh, we end up talking about it in the summer or at the end of the season what what do we hope for in the summer I think a number 10 if we're going to play 4-5-1 uh, will be it because there's no doubt 4-4-2 is not going to work against everyone uh, at the same time 4 5 one's not going to work against anyone so we do need to be versatile and we should on Saturday we can do that uh, so next we'll, we'll talk about starting to get back into the game um, the first goal I think it, it's a great finish, obviously, by Barnes. I've seen uh, Pickford's getting quite a lot of slack, uh, flack for it, and Sky seems to have done some like, analysis, and it's a bit like Tron-esque. Uh, but for me, the keeper's just beat by a, a well-hit shot. Uh, and the, the actual highlight of the, the goal, and I think everyone probably thinks this is the highlight of the goal, is the pass from uh, Matt Lawton. It, it's absolutely top draw. Um, at first, when, uh, when I saw it happen, it didn't quite click it. It was Lawton who made it. And when you saw the quality of the ball, you thought maybe it was someone like Jack Cole, because, you know, obviously, well, everyone's well aware of what he can do with the ball. Uh, but Matt Lawton was just showing, I think, what it is that makes him so good in the side over Phil Barsley. And when you see a ball played like that, and, and the difference I think he's made in the games he's played since he came back, you, you do wonder what was keeping him out of the side so long when uh, he came back from injury. It's just an exquisite ball, Natalie. What you know? What did you think? It's one of those one of those passing that just cuts the defence in half, yeah, and does. there's nothing you can do about oh, it. Matthew Lawton, what a ball! <laughs> I was it was it was sublime, and I've got to say I, I was exactly the same as you when I was watching it live. I didn't realise at first that it was Lawton. I saw the ball, um, and I was I was. It's one of those that it happens quite quickly, and that I was. Halfway through, exclaiming, exclaiming, you know, on the on the on the game that oh my god, that ball when Barnes was already putting it in. So then, you know, the celebration of the goal takes over. Um, so it takes a moment to process all of that. I think I Matt Lawton just offers so much more positivity um, for a defender than than Barnes does. And, and James, God, how many times have we talked about this and the frustration that Barnes had that extended run in the side when Lawton was clearly fit? It was hugely frustrating. Um, but what I came under a little bit of 
like um, early on in the season, around that time that, that Barsley was in the side, because I was <laughs> – you know, showing a little bit of frustration on social media that that Lawton was out of the side, and I was one of my points was is that we were missing that link from the back four to our front guys, and and that Lawton offered some really good crosses into the box, and he offered some really positive chances, and so many fans were really quick to jump down my throat about this and just say that, you know, I even had some fans saying that he can't cross a ball, you know, he's awful, and and I'm just, I don't a hundred percent understand where that feeling they'd come from with certain section of fans because before he got injured we were praising him on this podcast to say um you know that his his crossing was starting to get you know in in line with what we were used to seeing in the early stages of Trippier before he got ridiculously good and went to Spurs he has got that in his game as Matt Lawton he really does he can link up very very well with whoever's playing on that wing uh, right wing for him whether it's usually Goodmanson but obviously we saw on Saturday that that Darch had swapped Lennon and, and Goodmanson wings so that you know it was Lennon he was linking up with more um but it was just seamless and one thing that I will pick up on um Watching all of the, I think I was watching the Arsenal game on Sunday and Thierry Henry, no, it wasn't. I'll tell you when it was. It was after, it was Saturday night when when they were, um, you know, after the game and they were in the studio and they were analysing all of the games and Thierry Henry was going absolutely hyperbole about Matt, Matt Lawton's pass and he said, this is hugely frustrating because if this is a De Bruyne pass, we will see it over and over and over again on every single channel globally. He said, I hope we do see it, but we're not going to see this pass uh, glorified as it should be this weekend. And you know what? We haven't. A few outlets have, have said Matt Lawton's sublime pass. We saw it on Match of the Day saying, what a ball. We saw it on uh, Sunday Supplement, or oh, what a ball. But nowhere near the level of hype that it would be if it want it was one of the big six and one of the the superstars of the league. If they and you know they could make a pass that wasn't as good as that and just get absolutely sensationalised all weekend. So it's frustrating, but you know I think we all know that's the reality of being Burnley and being a Burnley player, isn't it? In that uh, you know we don't always get the credit that we deserve. Very true. And, and some of you uh, you just brought up there that. Well, actually, sorry. One thing about Lawton before I move on, um, I think what what fans' criticism was previously is that yes, he had the crosses in his locker and he, you know, he has that ability to pass, but his consistency wasn't quite there. But I think this season, in general, his consistency every week has got better and better, and you know, it can. All, I think through playing more games, he's only going to get even better. At it. So I'm really glad to see him back in the side, and I think if we can, uh, you know keeping fit for the rest of the season. We'll see him growing confidence a bit, especially now the pressure's off. Uh, and Hopefully it gives us a, you know, a real good base to move into next season on. Something you mentioned there that I'm just going to come uh, pick up on that I had I'd forgotten about, to be honest, but I did want to mention it, was the, the wingers playing Lennon on the right. Um, I heard a few people say, oh, it's so clever to, to play him on the right when he's been talking about how he plays on the left and how they've got to mix it up. Um, to me, it seems like the most obvious. This is one of those ones where Dash has maybe been frustrating you a little bit with just a little something he's been doing. And for me, it was playing Lennon on the left. Um, we've seen it with players before, playing putting him on the off wing. And Lennon was just... You saw glimpses when he was on the left. You saw glimpses of what he could do. You could you saw glimpses of how he could beat a man. Uh, Cal Walker uh, was one against City where he, he, he put him on the floor. 
but you just knew that there was so much more to come if he played on the right, which is where he's played his entire career. Um, you know, all his success has been down the right. And I think we got to see that on Saturday. I think that factored in with the fact he maybe wanted to show a bit of something to his former team. Um, he was one who's desperate to make an impact. And he, he was very unlucky, I think, in some positions where he got himself to, to not be on the receiving end of a pass that could have led to a goal. Um, I just thought he had a sensational game and, and the interplay with uh, Lawton was top-notch. And if we can keep playing him on the right and Goodmanson on the left and they can have games like they had on Saturday, then uh, that's a really promising uh, set of wingers going forward. It's going to give Dash a bit of a headache when uh, when Brady's ready to come Definitely. Back, I hope it way? does as well. Um, I, I, it just Dash makes me laugh because, like you say, just, it seemed such an obvious um, strategy just to put Lennon on the side that he can play with. But how many times in his Burnley career have we seen the most left-sided, left-footed, left player in Robbie Brady stuck on the right? It's just Deitch. I, I think I think he likes to troll us. I really do. I think he just likes to just mix it up a little bit. But um, yeah, it, it made a huge difference on Saturday. It really did. And I hope he sticks with that. Actually, more importantly as well, I was I was worried a little bit at first because I, I wasn't sure how good Munson would would. Um, play swapping wings himself but I actually thought he looked really comfortable on the left as well yeah I, I think he's a left footed player uh, you, predominantly I know he's, he has got more of a right foot than, uh, than someone who you'd say can only play on the left but he always has that tendency to cut in and I know Dash does like that but um, for me when you've got someone like Lennon who plays that well on the right hand side I think you, you sacrifice that aspect of cutting in to, to keep him in the, the position he plays best in so to move on, um, the the winner, it, it's a bit of a, it's one really that is very preventable, but it's such a, a proper striker's goal to score for Chris Wood to be in the right position to to finish that. I'd say this, as I said earlier, there's been some criticism of Pickford, and um, it, it for the first goal, I think it's really harsh to to criticise in there. It's just a well hit strike, uh, a well struck ball, um, but when you look at the second one. If that's uh, Burnley defending that corner, I think Nick Pope's come out and caught it. Uh, and I think that's long been the, the the weakness in Pickford's game. He doesn't come and collect crosses. Um, I think it's a modern keeper thing. A lot of modern keepers don't like to come and collect crosses. But really anything in his six-yard box, if not out to the penalty spot, should be the keepers in that situation. And how he's not come for Moss uh, Flack for, for not coming for that, I'm not sure. But to, to me, that's really the, you know, the, the failing. But Chris Wood does well to make sure he's ready to react and head it in. Uh, and it's one of those goals you just love seeing someone back from injury, um, completing, hopefully, a, a comeback win. Uh, they just don't get sweeter than those ones, do they, Natalie? No, they definitely don't. I was really pleased to see him score. It must have been frustrating for him because he's come to Burnley with a huge fear and, and the you know, a huge expectation on his shoulders to, to be the number one striker and and, and the, the player who was going to keep us in this league. And he's had such a frustrating season with injuries. He's had not particularly serious ones, but lots of niggly ones that have just kept him out week after week after week. And it's just been um, a very stop-start season for him. So to, to get him on the pitch to start off with and to get him um, on the score sheet will just, it will lift the team, it will lift the manager and it will by far and above lift the player. Um, I, I think, I mean, it's classic, it's classic wood, isn't it? I mean, he doesn't miss that many chances. If you give him that much space in the box, given how athletic and how strong he is and, and how good he is in the air, he's not going to, you know, he's not going to miss many chances gifted to him that way. Um, what did, I mean, you, you talked then, James, about the 
keeper and and I'm I agree with you I think Nick Nick Pope comes out at, at the bare minimum punches it you know away even if he doesn't come out and collect it himself but I've seen so much criticism on the defenders for both Keane and Williams um Williams is I think his positioning and his just lack of awareness and his lack of sharpness contributed I think more to the space and the chance that Wood found himself than the keeper to be honest do you not have you do you agree with that or do you think that it is all completely down to the keeper I don't think anything's ever down to one individual but uh, for me that you know if the keeper comes and collects it or punches it anything gets it out of his box you're not really talking about what the defence have done. I thought Williams had a poor game all the way through. Uh, you know, Keane was pretty poor as well. There's clearly something about playing at Everton because Williams previously has been a great defender in the Premier League. Um, and obviously, we'll come on to his other big mistake in a little while. But uh, Keane, you know, was sensational for us and neither of them are having a good season at, at Everton. I saw some uh, tweets from Everton fans saying, uh, good news out that game, Williams can't play next week. Which you know says it all when uh, fans are celebrating your captain getting sent off and suspended. Yeah, and I've got to say I, I saw some other tweets as, as well, James, as well as the ones of Everton fans being very happy to see the back of Williams. I saw quite a lot of tweets that were also saying, "Is there any chance that we can also get Keane banned for for the rest of the season as well, so we don't have to put up with both of them?" Um, it's it's really it's really disappointing. I, I think just focusing on Keane for a little bit, we sent him away in the summer. Very pleased that he'd, he'd got the Everton job, and I think we all really wanted him to succeed. And, and when we sort of packaged him up and sent him off to Everton, I think most of us very firmly believed that he would start to cement his place as, as first choice centre half uh, with John Stones. I, I genuinely don't believe he will even go to Russia now. I don't think he'll be in contention because he's just had an absolutely awful season, and I think. A lot of, of journalists and, and media are basically stating that it, yeah, I heard one say it's been an unmitigated disaster, uh, which is just so disappointing for Keane. And I, and I don't even know how how he's going to, to recover from that. I'm not entirely sure that Allardyce is the best man manager in the business. He's he's openly very critical about his players, isn't he? And he, he's, he's not afraid of singling players out when they've had a mare. Um, and he's, he's come out in the press and basically said, you know, Michael Keane's not, the, the, I don't know why you don't know why we bought him. I don't know why we paid that money. Um, I'm not sure how he's going to recover his form, but you know, hopefully he will type thing. And that must just be so damaging for a young player who's had his dream move and been talked about as a potential future of the England defence. Who's, in my view, probably not going to go to the World Cup now. And I'm not really sure where his his career is going to turn. And that there's every possibility that he may even get sold from Everton, which will just be absolutely soul-destroying for him. So, you know, as, as happy as, as I was about Saturday's win, and obviously that's the most important thing, there is, there is a part of me that really feels for Michael Keane at the moment. And I really, really hope that he manages to find his feet again and his form. That would be good. Yeah, I think you know, there's a very real chance he, he could get sold. And uh, I think when he went there, a lot of Burnley fans were saying, oh, it's going to be the perfect size of club, you know, like an intermediate step to to see him, you know, continue his career and go from uh, strength to strength. But it's really not worked out so far. And I, I don't know whether that's going to change going forward or not, but um, it's a very difficult one for him. Um, so we talked about Williams and his poor performance earlier. Ultimately, he managed to get himself sent off as well. And it's one that, uh, Sam Aldar said he, he couldn't defend and, and he's right 
he looks back at Barnes and swings his arm out. Uh, and the referee, to his credit, it's one that quite often gets missed, but the referee sees it straight away and he doesn't even hesitate to send him off. Um, but I've now seen uh, a tweet actually from from this weekend where someone had picked up on, on video. You can see that he actually swings for Chris Wood uh, a little bit before uh, the, the red card uh, in the, his own half. So it looks like his frustrations have got the better of him or something like that. But either way, it's completely indefensible action. And, you know, to, to be doing that when you're a team's captain, uh, it's very disappointing. And you, you can understand why Everton fans are, you know, glad that he, he can't play again if that's the sort of attitude he's bringing to the pitch now. Yeah. Um, I just... I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> I've been, I, I must have watched that incident so many times and I don't understand what on earth he was thinking. It, he's not provoked at all. And it's, it's not even like there was a challenge or there was anything or some crosswords. There was literally nothing and he just lashes out. And I'm not even being funny, but he doesn't even lash out properly. It's, it's a really, it's almost like a, a half-baked attempt at a, a punch in the face. And I don't know whether that was just because he thought he could get away with it if it was quite soft, but it was such a ridiculous red card to concede. It was a red card. You know, he can't get away with it. But it's such a poor... It, oh, it's just, everything is wrong with it. And it just it just sums up everything that's wrong with that Everton side at the moment. And, you know, you've got a, a really big club that's just not being managed from the top down to the bottom. And, and players are a little bit all over the place, aren't they? They're not really sure what their job is. They're not really sure what their tactics are. And and I think, you know, you mentioned this earlier on, James, that Everton just went on a massive spending spree in the summer and, and you know, flashed the cash around with this statement of intent that they were going to try and break into the top six and they were really going to go for it. But I remember thinking at the time that the players that they brought in weren't they weren't particularly intelligent signings. They just went a bit of a scattergun approach and bought whoever they could buy for for all of this money with very little consideration to where those players play and how they will gel as a team. And I think that was really a... And actually, again, they did it again in January. I'm not entirely sure yet where Walcott's going to fit in that side. Um, and it was that was really evident in that second half. There's no structure to the side and nobody seems to know what they're doing and if you then add on to that the fact that you've you've brought in a player who's not performing very well isn't a particularly strong character on the field anyway and then give him the captain's armband well is it any wonder that there's no direction on the pitch and there's no leadership and and to have a player who was clearly not mentally strong enough to, to carry that armband on Saturday just shows why they're in the position that they're in. Um, I, I'm telling you now, there's no way you'd, you'd catch men, Ben May doing that. No, no, never in a million years because he he understands the responsibilities that he has on the pitch and he understands the responsibility he has to his fans and to his manager. And, and I just think that, I don't think it's all Ashley Williams' fault. I just think there's something fundamentally wrong with that with that side. And, and you know, it, it's it's sad to see, but... They're going to have to sort it out and they're going to have to sort it out quickly. Otherwise, they're just going to find themselves just <laughs> mid-table nowhere and, and and not getting any better. But, you know, what do we care? You know, it's, it's enabling us to, to probably go and get that seventh spot and, and go on a European adventure. So, you know, their, their loss is our gain. Yeah, it's a very, very strange one. I really can't understand the, the decision-making behind it. But, uh, you know, he's, he's gone and done it. And he, you know, looking at the, the video where he's tried to do it, 
moments earlier in the game. It looks like he'd made his mind up he wanted to get himself sent off. I don't know. It, I did see one tweet actually joke that uh, maybe he's trying to make sure he doesn't get injured before Wales next need him. So I think that's uh, trying to put a quite a hopeful spin on it. The other thing I wanted to talk about from Everton's point of view in the game was Sam Aldice's substitutes. Um, he got a lot of stick off the Everton fans at the time and they, they made it quite clear that they don't want him at the club anymore. Um, but they just seemed quite strange. He almost seemed to take off everyone who was having a, a good game. Natalie, how did you find team, you know, players like Sigurdsson and Tucson, who's obviously scored, come off? Um, it just seems like almost admitting defeat and, and letting your side yeah. uh, get beat. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> I wasn't entirely convinced by his, his post-match interview. It just seemed like a, a manager who really couldn't be bothered to be there anymore. I thought his post-match comments were really quite shocking. I, I can fully understand how frustrated the Everton fans must be. Um, uh, who knows? I mean, I don't think it's necessarily a sign that he's completely lost it or he's, he's resigned to, to losing the game because, you know, even in some of our best spells we've expressed some frustration at some substitutions that Deitch makes or indeed some lack of substitutions you know we were having this very same conversation about Deitch last last Saturday his lack of substitutions against Southampton probably cost us a chance to win that game um so it's not always um you know you know a, a massively negative thing he must have had reasons for doing that he must have had some idea as to what he wanted to do it's just it's not immediately apparent to the rest of us, but it was a real surprise. And you've got to you've got to look at it in some respects. In that, the Everton fans at the moment are completely fed up. They don't understand what's gone wrong this season. They don't understand what role Allardyce now has. They understood that he was brought in to actually you know keep them away from a very realistic threat of relegation, and he's done that now. And, and I wonder whether perhaps Allardyce has just got them safe and. and well up that table a lot quicker than they may be expected so even he's a bit like well, okay well I don't really know what to do now maybe he expected it to be much closer to the season when he got them safe um, and now it's just a case of course until the end of the season when Sam leaves they bring somebody else in and they can just get back to to, to business as usual <laughs> so I'm not going to I'm not going to be too critical. Like I say, I think I think the fact that the fans are in that frame of mind anyway, that let's be honest, they're, they're likely to find hatred and, and criticism in pretty much any decision that Allardyce will make. Um, you know, what can you say? It, it, again, it's... It, we're talking here about a lot about Everton and, and what their feelings were, but it it meant that we could take a much-needed three points and get, you know, a hold on that seventh place. So... I'm not going to lose too many nights sleep over what's going wrong at Everton for him, to be honest. Yeah, no, I just thought it was an interesting one to bring up to to see how he's really just not got the the fans on side. And it was interesting because I think he was a the fans wanted him to get a six month uh, contract. Oh, did they? Yeah. Uh, and if I recall rightly, I think he's got eighteen months. Um, oh, has he? I only thought he had till the end of the season. Oh God, that's long. Uh, I believe it's 18 months but you know whether that's just him being you know the, the wily old fox yeah. he is and, and getting himself a guaranteed year's payout when you say when he, wily he old fox you mean really greedy 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 expletive that's what you mean isn't it yeah well <laughs> I mean I, obviously talking about someone who earns a lot more money than I do <laughs> yeah, I mean. um, I, 
I had the the same opportunity to to guarantee myself some money. Where in going into a situation where I know they want me yeah. to do a job for six months and save them, then uh, you can't really blame someone for maximising their income. Um, clearly, Everton thought it was worth doing, yeah. otherwise they wouldn't have given. Yeah, me that you're chance. right. Um, just one point that I've just been thinking of when you were saying that, then James, and I wonder what your views are on this. Do you think that the balance of power in the Premier League is shifting. Just look at the table this week and look at some of the less than fashionable sides who are doing really well. Look at how well Brighton are doing. An absolutely fantastic um, win for them on Sunday and they really took an opportunity that was given to them and they're probably going to stay up now this season. Um, Huddersfield and Newcastle, I think at least one of them will go down but both of them have given it you know, a bit of a fair crack. Burnley are in seventh place and may very well finish seventh and quite frankly are only five points off sixth. Um, and then you've got at the bottom of the table some of the really established sides like your Southamptons and your Stokes, West Brom who've been in the, in the Premier League for a long time now, who are all really, really struggling. Um, Watford haven't exactly lit up the Premier League like we thought they were going to do this season. Um, do you think that there's out? Do you think that there is now a, a, a shift in power outside of the top six in that it's literally anybody's league and, and sides like Everton are no longer you know, able to just guarantee themselves seventh or eighth places anymore. It's interesting. I think mean, you mentioned Newcastle. Um, because obviously, apologies to any Newcastle fans who are listening, but they all think that they're a big team and they have a, you know, an entitlement to be in the Premier League. Uh, which is quite interesting because in a way that shows that there has been shifts uh, of this nature in the, in the past. You know, Newcastle previously were a team that challenged for Premier League titles. Uh, you know, they were seen as a safe team for years until... Uh, recent years, you know, the Mike years where they've become almost a bit of a yo-yo club. Um, I think I saw something about along these similar lines the other day on, on Twitter, Simon Evans, who's been on the podcast a few times in the past, um, said, does the top six, does the big six exist anymore? And I think, well, if you look at the table, clearly it does. Uh, Arsenal are maybe falling away. Um, but, you know, that group of teams, I think, uh, they're going to remain the, the big powers in the league, you know, bar the odd time that maybe we this season managed to breach it or, you know, Leicester breached it the year they won. Um, but you look in the, the bottom half, you know, the bottom two thirds, and maybe it's been this way for a long time, but I think those teams are actually quite fluid. Um, you know, Everton are normally a team that, that stick around the top half, almost looking like they might break into the top six. And actually beginning of the season they've spent quite a bit of money and some of the additions didn't look awful you know Keane looks like a good signing I think Williams with what he'd done at Swansea looked like a good signing and they've ended up completely going the opposite way not panning out at all uh, making them a worse side uh, you, you knew they were going to have to replace the goals of Lukaku but beyond that you thought they've, they've signed pretty well just missing that striker uh, you know you've seen this season Wayne Rooney's career is just gone uh, that's you know someone who he's He's not even beyond the age yet where he, he should be, you know, falling off as drastically is. But he's he's gone from, you know, at his peak being a, a, a very good international player. I'm love to say he was ever world class. I don't think he was, but you know, he's gone from being a, a very good player who's you know the figurehead of his team, and now he's someone who's coming on in the second half at Burnley. It, it you know shows the trajectory of his career. But you've got all these teams in in the bottom half. And I think like teams like West Brom, etc., they go in kind of a cycle. And you saw it with Aston Villa. Where Aston Villa were a team that for years, top half of the Premier League. And they gradually just sort of went into 
more mid-table, a bit more towards the bottom of mid-table. And then being that team like Sunderland who sort of seem to every season just somehow get themselves back out of bother and stay up. And then they drop. Uh, and I think you're seeing that again with teams like Southampton and, and West Brom. You know, maybe this season uh, Southampton will survive. I think they probably will. But what's, it, what's going to happen next season? You know, are they, are they going to end up back it a little bit more in trouble and maybe only just survive? And then the season after, are they going to slip? I mean, it's quite interesting. And, you know, you look at teams there, and I think there's some of it's there's maybe like a little bit of fatigue almost and complacency. And it makes you wonder actually what Burnley's trajectory is going to be from here. You know, if we keep Sean Dash next season, I think we'll do well. Maybe not as well as this season. The season's been fantastic. But we could also easily go add more goals and maybe have another great season where we finish similarly well. But there's always that churn of players uh, and the difference for the top teams, obviously, is they've got the money to go and get high quality players again and again and again. And they can replace players before they've even started to drop off. Whereas teams more in our position, it might not be until suddenly, you know, someone like Chris Wood's not scored in half a season and you're thinking, oh, we need a new striker. But by that point, the damage can be done. Um, and I think you see that with some of the teams now that are in the bottom half. It's ultimately, you know, the fatigue, players not, you know, dropping off, the level dropping off and the team just not having the replacements for them. And Brighton and Huddersfield have been real surprise packages. They both look like they They've got a very good chance of staying up. And, and if you'd looked at the beginning of the season, you thought, oh, Brighton maybe uh, would have a chance to stay up. You know, obviously they spent a lot of money in the past, but it's taken them so many attempts to get out of the championship. There's still part of you that thinks, do they have the mentality to, to stay up in the Premier League? Can they do it in the games they need to win? Uh, they've, they've proven that maybe they can. Um, but Huddersfield, you came up and you thought, you know, this is like Burnley first time round, or it's like Blackpool. They're going to have a, you know, a boisterous start, get a few results. And it's just on the back of that promotion, uh, you know, promotion bounce. And then the reality of playing in the Premier League, the slog it is how, you know, you can go so long without a win. We're prime examples of that. We've been seventh for months without winning, which shows that really the, the gulf in the Premier League where, you know, the top six are far beyond everyone. I mean, we've got a chance of catching Arsenal, but the top five are, out of touch and Man City are out of touch of the two to two to five um, and we've been out of touch to teams behind us for, for months um, and it shows that really that's what the Premier League's like so you, you thought yeah, maybe Huddersfield come up they get that bounce and eventually they tail away and go down but they've managed to not do it and I think part of it is because of how bad teams like West Brom have been and it, they really have sort of dropped off massively uh, but they've shown that it's not easy to maintain your position in the Premier League and you can't get complacent. Um, and I think that's a, it's an interesting one to see how this cycle runs. And it's happened in the past. You know, there's teams like Leeds who were big teams and uh, came into bother and, and couldn't maintain their position. Um, you know, you look at Hull, really struggling even now a league below, but they've been the same sort of thing. They've been up and down and, you know, they've had times when they were mid-table Premier League side and they, they ultimately just sort of can't keep up and uh, once you're behind the, the, the ball and you know you you look at your team and suddenly it's full of Deadwood, Sunderland like, oof, that, that's yeah. a, a bad side and I, I saw someone try to try to uh, troll Visa the other day on Twitter where he'd, uh, he'd said something about Sunderland and they, they 
posted a gif of uh, them scoring at the turf when they were already 4 0 down. And it's like you can't really banter someone with a, a gif of you cutting through their side who are 4 0 That's up a pretty bold. That's a guy who just says, like, yeah, I'm just going to troll you and I don't care. He's clearly just, yeah, clearly just accepting Sunderland are awful. Um, but it, it's, it's interesting. And I think the Premier League's like that. You know, there's yeah, people who say oh, there's two leagues in the Premier League. I think there's three leagues uh, at any one time. There's the teams that are, you know, making good progress and, and they'll they'll occupy the middle ground. Uh, obviously, there's the big teams who occupy that top bit of the table. And then there's the teams that are maybe going through a transition who yeah. could easily stay up or could easily go down. Uh, and it's it may, that, I think that is the real interesting part of the Premier League, especially now City have won the league. You, yeah, you, you just ignore the, the teams at the top, really, the battle at the top's gone. Yeah. It's more the interest of seeing how these established teams are, you know, either going to get themselves out of trouble or are they going to go down? Yeah, I think the, the things that you're saying there about, you know, the, the, the teams that have been maybe complacent, I'm just looking at the live table now after this weekend's game. Obviously, we're recording this at uh, Monday night where we, we don't yet have the full Monday night. I think it's is it only Palace and United playing tonight. Um, and if you look at the live table, I think that 13th to 20th is three from those. Bournemouth are in 12 on 33 points, which is five points clear of the relegation. And I just think that's probably just enough. So I think it's it's any three from um, 13th down because there's only... Right, okay, if we ignore West Brom and say they're going down, they're eight points, uh, sorry, nine points shy of, of safety. There is only three points. And these are the teams that are within three points of just like one wing, one win swing, you know, being back in the bottom three. You've got Stoke, Southampton, Newcastle, Huddersfield, West Ham, Swansea and Palace. There are some huge teams in that bottom seven places. Eight places, sorry. I can't count. Seven, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, sorry. Now, you could probably argue that maybe we expected... Swansea and, and Huddersfield to be in that bottom eight. Newcastle, some people kind of split opinion, don't they? Some people expected them to be at the bottom, some people didn't. But I certainly did not expect Palace, West Ham, New, uh, Southampton, Stoke, West Brom to be in, you know, in genuinely in danger. And the biggest one for me is Southampton. They are currently in that bottom three and they have. Um, a really, really, really horrible um, run of games, as do Stoke as well, to be honest. So we could realistically see the bottom three being West Brom, Stoke and Southampton. And that is huge. If Newcastle, um, Huddersfield and Brighton all stay up, Burnley end up finishing seventh. This is a, a completely different Premier League than one that we've been traditionally used to. No, and this is the, you know, this is what I'm saying, the, the real... Interest, I think, in the Premier League now is watching that that bottom half of the table and seeing it can go down. It, it's changed so much from a couple of seasons ago. It was almost a given that out of the promoted sides, probably two go back down, you know, or almost immediately. And that's really been turned on its head. Now we're potentially looking at no promoted side going down uh, this season, which is sensational. Really, it's, it's quite a quite a feat. Um, but you you look at you know you look at West Brom and obviously they are they are down they're, they're, there's no way they're getting back out of this situation. But this this hand players in the summer you know they made some signings they had a, a very established manager when they started the season. Um, 
and it, it's gone all wrong for them. Uh, and it, they've also shown here that you know where Everton changed managers is decisive change, and it worked for them. Uh, West Brom changed manager, and it, it's got no better. You know they've only won three times all season. Uh, I can only imagine what it's like to be a West Brom supporter that you know this season. Uh, but. <sighs> It's interesting, and there's some interesting sides out of Southampton. They have some good players. They have some good players, and for whatever reason, it's not clicking. And you know, the same at Palace. Palace have some good players. Stoke have some good players. There's teams there that have players that I'd happily pick up one or two of. Uh, and to be honest, for us, that could be something we need to look at in the summer. If you know the likes of Southampton, Palace, or Stoke are going down. You know who's in that side? Who's got Premier League experience? We could be bringing in to to make our eighteen better, not necessarily our, our first eleven, but who can we make our eighteen better? Um, you know, we'd potentially like a goal scorer. Do we got anyone that Dash could revitalise and uh, and get goals from next season? Because uh, for us, I think you know, like I said, it's about teams becoming complacent. I think Dash will recognise now uh, what's really missing from our game is goals. Um, you know we're got one of the lower negative goal differences but outside of the uh you know the, the top six no one has a positive goal difference uh, which i think says a lot about the league and you know the way the league is and and everyone bar arsenal has a positive goal difference has a one better than 20 and obviously manchester city is phenomenal 60 63 um but we've got a strong defense and you see that when you look at it stack it up by defense we don't concede a lot of goals, but the problem is we don't score a lot either. Um, and if you went and put a few goals into our side, would we potentially be above Arsenal or maybe even Chelsea? I think it's very, very much a possibility. So, you know, that's going to be our, our main target going into the summer. And that's what we're going to have to, you know, look out for in terms of complacency. We have to make sure we get players in backup for areas that, you know, so far are doing okay. You know, down the line, is someone going to suffer a loss of form? And I think we've got that a little bit in places. You've got Charlie Taylor, obviously, at left back. Who, if Ward was there to ever drop off the fantastic level he's shown this season, uh, you've got someone there who's played a little bit and shown that, you know, he's got something about him. Um, and I think yeah, that is the key to the Premier League, is making sure you're constantly moving forward. Uh, we, we talked about that for quite a while, actually. Now that turned out yeah. to be quite a good little. Uh, little Little query to put in there, Bromer. So we'll move straight on to the the West Ham game. Um, let's talk very quickly about because I don't think there's a, a, an awful lot to say other than they're another team who aren't too far from from being in trouble. Um, what do you how do you think we line up? Because obviously we made such a decisive sub at half time against Everton. Um, is it? Do you think Dash sticks with his team from the second half, or does he go back to four five one? What would you do if you were dark, I guess? Um, I've been thinking about this all day because I knew that this question was coming for the podcast. I honestly, I don't know which one he's going to do, but I'm not entirely sure there's a right or wrong answer here. Um, knowing Deitch like we know and love him, I would be amazed if he does anything other than start the same side that started on Saturday, stick with four five one. We know he likes that away from home. He doesn't like to be too exposed in midfield um, away from home, especially at West Ham as well, which is a big ground, a big pitch, and obviously um, quite difficult to find. Um, you know, the the pass, I guess, and, and to be able to keep compact. So I, I suspect he'll stick with four five one. If anything, just to try and and, and stick to nil nil and, and go for that point. Um, who knows though? You know, we're on forty points. Now we're safe. We are 
Um, we've nothing to lose now. We've got nine games to finish on as many points as we possibly can and, and maybe go and get that seventh place European spot. So he might go really positive. He might be really pleased with how well it worked on Saturday in the second half and, and go with two strikers. Um, I would. Um, the only reason why I think he, I wouldn't is whether if we start with four four two and and start the game with the second half team, where do we go if it doesn't work? How do we change it? We don't have the option. At least if we start four five one and, and it doesn't go to plan, and we either find ourselves a goal behind or we feel that the game's there to be won and we can go for it we can at least bring a second strike on and we can go 4-4-2 and go more positive. I'm concerned that if he starts that way and it doesn't work and we get torn apart or it just we can't find our feet, then what what is plan B from that? Where do you go from there? Yeah, I think that's an interesting point, actually. You know, could going back to 4-5-1 not it, be... It could, but then you then have to take wood off, which seems bizarre. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't... To me, it feels like at the moment I'd prefer to see Chris Wood in a four four two. I'm not sure who you then take off. Yeah, I know. I know entirely what you're saying. It feels like it's a little bit of a a negative move, maybe to go to five one. If if it's not working, how are you going to get more goals by going four five one? You know, maybe it does work. It's one of those things. Sometimes weird formations that you don't expect to, to make a difference, to make a difference. Personally, I'd like to see him um, be really positive, uh, take the team from the second half and, and, and start with that. Um, I'm actually going to put in an on-run win. This sort of is the Everton game slash last week as well. Oh, I thought Ashley Westwood was fantastic again. Yeah, that's that's two weeks good. in a row. Um, you know, For someone who I think people always thought was only good as a backup, he's Proven that he can, you know, he can play a lot in the midfield, and I think him and Cork together look nice. They both, I'd say, players that go under the radar. I personally think Jack Cork is one of the most underrated midfielders in the league. Uh, You know, he he does a lot of stuff that goes unnoticed, but Westwood's shown that now he's the same sort of player. You know, there's a lot he does that Mm -hmm. people aren't necessarily paying a lot of attention to. It's not flash, but it's solid. Uh, It gets the job done, and I'd really liked how he looks with Cork. Uh, And I think, if anything, that's really what closes the door for Henrik at the moment. And for me, he shows him on the bench. Uh, Previously, I would have said. You know, we've seen when maybe Defoe came off in games and Hendrick dropped back. I always thought Hendrick looked much better when he dropped back, when he was in his natural position. Um, but with Westwood playing the way he is, I think he's got to you know go to the bench if we do change formation. Yeah. And hopefully, in my you opinion, Dash, Dash will go four four two. Oh, fingers crossed. I think um, Westwood, is he not just a prime example at the moment of what Dyche says about players who come in and get given a chance? Westwood is... My God, he's not just grabbing it with two hands, he's grabbing it with every single part of his body and running as fast as he possibly can, like Usain Bolt-esque down the, the, the ring to take that chance, isn't he? So, yeah, he, he, I think he was fantastic, James. I completely agree. Yeah, but saying that, you know, I, I think he was fantastic and most of the people I've spoken to, you know, I think he's fantastic. I chat with my dad after the game and, you know, he, he thinks Westwood's sorted into the side really well. Um, but there's still fans out there who, you know, if they give him player ratings, he gets a bit of a lower rating. I think he's just maybe not fashionable, maybe. Um, and he's one that maybe people don't want to necessarily jump in and like. But, I, you know, I think if people give him even more time, he's going to just continue showing that he, he's a quality player and he's got a lot in his game. Um, and I think, 
you know, it's only it can only be a good thing for Burnley because Defoe maybe he'll make it back for a couple of games into this season, but you know, for the most part, he's probably going to be out for the rest of the season. Uh, and having another you know genuine option who can do it at the Premier League level uh, is great, and it shows that we've you know got a strong enough squad uh, to to maintain our position going into next season. Uh, just to just to finish on the West Ham game then. Now as I said, West Ham another team that, you know, aren't really out, out of the danger zone yet. Uh, they've not had the best season. A team that have got a lot of players in there who cost a lot of money at various times. Um they may be a prime example of complacency and not necessarily making the, the right signings. Um they're a team that do some very very curious, uh, make some very curious moves in the transfer market. Yeah. Do, do you see this game as a, a real chance now to push on? We've got that win that puts the, the wingless run behind us. Um, we've got Arsenal on the horizon who seem to be playing worse than ever. Uh, surely, you know, Wenger's going at the end of the season and we've still got Arsenal to play. So, really, if we can push on here and, and get wins against the like of West Ham, we're giving ourselves almost an opportunity to, to steal sixth place of Arsenal when we play them, don't you think? Oh, yeah, definitely. And I'd love to see us go for that. Um, I, I do worry a little bit about Deitch's, um comfort zone when it comes to us pushing for European slot. Um, Deitch is, is very ambitious, but he's very ambitious on his own terms. And I think he'd be the first person to admit that he wasn't expecting us to be finishing in the top 10 this season. He wanted an improvement on last season. I don't think he expected us to be top 10 material, let alone seventh. So I, I am a little bit worried about the club's belief that they can compete in Europe, or whether they just see it as a complete bonus, deal with it as pre-season friendlies and, and, and just if they go out, they go out, they concentrate on the league. If they do well, then great you know the, the side progresses so can I put my hand on my heart and say that Darch will go all out to get that sixth or seventh spot I'm not sure he will um whether that's subconsciously or deliberately I don't know who knows he, he might now be loving life and, and and wanting to to get us to push to Europe but but Sean Dyche very much likes his Burnley side to be under the radar and sneaking into sixth place or off Arsenal and getting into Europe's not quite as under the radar as I think he would like to be so there's going to be some in and, and I would actually before I move on to that point I will stress listeners that I'm not in any way suggesting that Sean Dyche is going to throw this season or manipulate it what I'm I'm trying to explain is is that I do genuinely believe that this team is is has gone a lot further forward than anybody was expecting, and Deitch will be naturally cautious of us running before we can walk, um, and just making sure that we don't overstretch ourselves and that we don't find ourselves in a position that's going to be detrimental to the club, not positive and helping us progress again next season. That's just kind of where I'm coming from with that. Um, the game of the weekend is going to be a very interesting one. West Ham are in all sorts of chaos at the moment and there was some horrendous um, treatment to Irv David Gold after the game. There's some fans really getting on his back. There's been protests. Um, I don't think that West Ham, the board, have made a lot of particularly good business decisions recently and the West Ham fans are, are probably equally as annoyed as the Everton fans are. Um, I thought that the um, appointments of David Moyes was appalling. I think that man has an incredible ability to make um, a desperate situation seem almost suicidal. He's just is awful and he just doesn't fill me with confidence and I've never thought that he was the man to, to get West Ham out of the hole that they find themselves in. That said, 
they've just come off the back of a, of a very, very harsh 4-0 loss. Um, that might be the wake-up call that they all need. Um, you know, the fans getting on their back, the manager might be um, under pressure and the players will be hurting from that result. It's it's a dangerous game to go to at home for West Ham. They could absolutely turn us over and give us an absolute hiding if we're not careful. Or we could go execute a game plan very, very well, be very solid, be very disciplined and, and not give them the opportunity to break us down. And we could go and nick a goal and just add to their misery. Um, I honestly don't know and I don't think anybody can genuinely predict how Saturday is going to go. I think Darts just has to get those players to just drown out all of the noise, ignore what's going on at West Ham, ignore the pressure they're under and just ignore what it means and just sort of set up his side the way he always has done and and just get them to just perform on the day and see what they can get. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see. Obviously, Dash likes to win football games and I think we'll we'll push on in that, that sense that we'll try and win every game we play. Whether we sneak into sixth will be, be interesting. It'll be nice to see, but um, I'm not personally too bothered about Europe, to be honest, because you've seen teams of maybe our stature before getting to Europe and it's it's really oh, hindered them. really? Yeah, oh, I, mean, I mean, from the point of view that I will really like to, but to be trying to put too much effort to it, dedicate. No, I agree with that. Yeah, I completely no, agree. It'll be great to to play a European team in a meaningful game, not just a pre-season friendly. Yeah. I'd love that aspect of it. But as far as um, you know, what's best for us as a, a side in the Premier League, yeah. I'm not sure that that European football necessary is the best thing. I think he has to treat them. He has to treat the qualifiers as pre-season friendlies, doesn't he? He has to just say, he has to just give everybody a run out and just think about, well, if we get knocked out in the early stages, then so what? I think he, I think he needs to treat it as a, as a very no pressure situation. It's almost like a pre-season competition. Yeah. And, and having seen the way Dash, you know, treats the, the, the league cup, I think in particular, we, we've got no concerns. I think he should be able to, even if we did get through to the point where, you know, we're, we're playing European competition as the season's starting to develop. Um, I'd like to think he'd, you know, rotate the team in a way that is protecting the league more than the, the European Cups. Because you've, you've seen it before. There's been teams, you know, from the bottom half of the Premier League who've got into Europe for, you know, like a cup competition or whatever. And it's, really taken their eyes off the off the the main competition which is the Premier League and I think the way the Premier League is now these days it's so much effort to, to maintain your position in the league that really unless you get to a position where you're comfortable uh, which you know arguably maybe, maybe we were at Christmas and it's a shame we didn't get further in the FA Cup because that's maybe something we could have dedicated more energy to the way our season's gone um, but in those early stages of the season when the season's still developing, it can so easily, a bad run of form can put you into real bother and, and see you in the bottom half of the table for the rest of the season. So from my point of view, I think as a, a thing that would last over the course of a season, European football is maybe not the best thing for us, but as a spectacle for the fan, uh, you know, an experience, uh, I'd, I'd love it. It'd be, it'd be amazing. Uh, if only football was as simple as it used to be, I guess. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Oh, I've not said that for ages. That's just reminded me of Tweet of the Week. I had a flashback then. Yeah, some some memories are better <laughs> left. Better left like that, aren't they? Anyway, that's, I think, all we've got time for this week. Um, it's ended up being a bit of a longer podcast than I expected, discussing 
the the relative uh, league positions of some teams that maybe shouldn't be where they are, uh, you know, based on the the club stature. But hopefully you found it an interesting one. As always, if you've got any feedback, any thoughts on the podcast, anything you'd like to see us do in the future, anything you'd like to see us change, uh, drop us an email. Uh, the email address is podcast at net, uh, and we'll hopefully get back to you as soon as we can. Um, follow us on Facebook, No Name Ever, uh, and Twitter, No Name Ever. Uh, and hopefully you'll uh, you'll join us again next week for the, the next podcast after we've beaten West Ham. Uh, this has been the No Never Podcast. I've been James Bird. Goodbye. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.